0: Welcome to Pocketful of Grace, weekly podcast of Grace Lutheran Church here in State College, Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Carolyn Hetrick, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Pastor Scott Schull, as we continue our series, To You, The Messenger Has Come, continuing to focus upon annunciations. These stories communicate an understanding of God, deeply involved in the surviving and thriving of God's people. We invite you to pull up a chair and join us as we continue to allow God to reveal new things to us. New ways of recalling stories, learning things we never heard before, finding God at work in surprising ways. That same God comes to us to give us hope in our changing times, and we hope that you will leave this time with a pocket full of grace for your journey.
1: Friends, to recap briefly, we are looking at Annunciations. This is week three in a four-week series. Annunciations, holy announcements, where women in Scripture were visited with such announcements. And specifically, we're focusing upon the women, their perception, experience, and how God drew them into unexpected stories for God's purposes. Stories that maybe have not always gotten the attention they should. The most famous, of course, is the Annunciation by the angel Gabriel to Mary concerning the birth of Jesus. Before this event, though, other Annunciations took place in the Hebrew Scriptures. Mary's Annunciation and Jesus's first Advent stand on this foundational understanding. As we continue in the season of Advent awaiting not only the celebration of the birth of Jesus but the coming again of Christ, we are engaging what's called a women's lectionary for the whole church recently released this year by Dr. Dr. Wilder C. Gaffney, a Hebrew biblical scholar and Episcopal priest. We encourage you to have your Bible alongside. We're using the NRSV translation, which we see on Sundays in worship here at Grace, and we're paralleling it with Dr. Gaffney's own translation work. Each week we are focusing upon a lesson from the Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, as well as a psalm and gospel passage.
0: So friends, we're gonna begin as we have been doing and also end with a breath prayer to ground ourselves, and this one is grounded in our psalm that we'll be getting to a little bit. We're gonna breathe in and say, I trust you, Holy One, breathe out my helper and my shield. So we're gonna do that three times together now. I I trust trust you, you, Holy Holy One, One, my helper Helper, and my my shield. shield. I I trust trust you, Holy Holy One, One, my my helper and my my shield. shield. I I trust trust you, you, Holy One, one, my my helper and and my shield. Amen. So today we're going to focus on Eshet Manoah, the mother of one of the most fabled heroes of the pre-monarchic period in Israel's history, Samson. And Eshet Manoah in Hebrew means wife of Manoah. And the reason that we use that term is that we don't actually know for sure the name of the mother of Samson, but... Our first reading comes to us. This story comes from the book of Judges, chapter 13, and we'll be using Dr. Gaffney's translation. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, and his name was Manoah. His wife was barren. She had never given birth. And the messenger of the Holy One appeared to the woman and said to her, Look now, you are barren, having never given birth. You shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now please be on guard, not to drink wine or strong drink, and you shall not eat anything unclean. For look, you shall yet conceive and give birth to a son. No razor shall be upon his head. For a Nazarite to God shall the boy be from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and spoke to her husband, saying, Someone from God came to me, and their appearance was like that of a messenger of God, incredibly awesome. I did not ask the messenger from where they came, and their name they did not tell me. Yet they said to me, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Do not drink wine or strong drink, and do not eat anything taboo, for a Nazarite to God shall the boy from the womb be unto the day of his death." This is quite
1: the story. It is. It's one that I certainly haven't spent near enough time thinking about during my ministry.
0: Yeah. So, you know, at first glance, because we've already spent a couple weeks on on other similar stories, this story follows a, a pattern that's familiar, a childless couple greeted by an angelic visitor who announces that a woman will miraculously conceive. This story is going to end later on with the birth of Samson, the mighty Samson. And it's easy for us to be drawn to his story because it's so colorful, but well, if we look at this story closer, there's a lot about it that's anything but predictable. It's not just the same old trope. So I'm wondering if you can help us first with some background.
1: Well, there are a couple of things we might start with to, uh, to gradually unpack this really rich story. And let's begin with the messenger. Who is the messenger? What's the nature of the messenger uh, in Hebrew? And this is true in Greek as well. A messenger, commonly translated as an angel, at least in the New Testament, can refer to a human mm-hmm. or a supernatural being. What really uh, makes somebody a messenger in this context is whether or not that person or angel is delivering a message or speaking upon uh, or behalf of someone else, in this case God. Uh, the, the Old Testament is full of these uh, references in the uh, 24th chapter of Numbers, in uh Second chapter of Deuteronomy and Joshua 6, there are messengers and uh, they are primarily human examples. And there's uh, quite a bit of ambiguity in this story from Judges as to whether it's a human or an angel. You get to the end of chapter 13, uh, they seem to believe uh, that it was an angel. But, you know, you even have situations where God is appearing in the guise of an angel, what uh, what matters less is you know our ability to parse that out, and and more the fact that this is a divine message that really deserves to be listened to.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we heard last week about when the three uh, messengers visit Abraham mm. and Sarai, and you know who that may be. But in these instances, uh, these are theophanies; these are yeah. encounters with the divine in some way, who are there for a specific purpose. They're not just stopping by for tea. They're there with a very specific purpose. And as we see and have seen in the previous stories that we've been talking about, um, this is a situation where, we saw this last week with Sarai, where a, a woman who is believed to not be able to have children mm-hmm. is, is figuring in the story. And I just want to take a moment and talk about, you know, in, in the time of the Hebrew Scripture... People are using the language that would make the most sense and so they're talking agriculturally yeah. about women. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's going on with literally with the woman's field as a way of talking about fertility.
1: I you know, I like when Jesus in the New Testament uses agrarian imagery because it models really effective teaching. Use what's around the people in order to connect this divine message. And and part of that is happening in this imagery of fertility that we're seeing in this text and many others in in the hebrew scripture the the notion of productive seed and and a field that's barren it starts to bother me uh, when it's applied to a person because it implies that one's value is only about uh, the ability to procreate
0: and in the time in which this is written people who were farming know that sometimes you have seed that doesn't produce right and so to not be able to carry that over to the human expression well if i can if i can plant these seeds of grain in the ground and then nothing happens because the seed is bad why is it that when it comes to procreation we assume that it must only be that the field is bad so uh and that causes a lot of a lot of distress you know for women across uh scripture and very much so true today too but um Imagine being someone who is no longer seen as having value because your main asset is something that people have decided doesn't exist for you.
1: Yeah, and, that, and that's critically important is to, is to realize that all of these divine promises are being bound up in this uh, societal context, which, you know, arguably hasn't changed all that much, uh, where a lot of self-image is based around this ability to carry on the line.
0: Right. So there's some interesting parallels in this story. In fact... I confess that when I was preparing for this, I learned an awful lot that I either never learned or just don't remember. Uh, But some of those parallels, of course, is that that this particular woman uh, is going to receive a divine promise that she too will beget children like Sarai does, like Mary and Elizabeth do, like Hagar does, and like Hannah will. We'll hear about that another time. She's also, like those who are seen as temporarily barren, like Sarah is and like Elizabeth was that we mm-hmm. heard last week and we'll hear next week about Hannah there's another way that she is uh, has parallels in scripture which is that after the part of the story that we hear today we're going to get into this in a little bit uh, this particular woman is like other women who won't be believed by the men right women who see a divine messenger and yet they don't the men don't believe the women have heard the message and we're actually gonna see that when the women go to the, the empty tomb and are greeted oh by the angelic messenger. Yeah,
1: I think about that every Easter. <laughs> you know, for this is on the side, but anybody who thinks women aren't qualified or permitted to be preachers or pastors, good grief. Look at the Easter story. The very first evangelist was Mary Magdalene. Yeah. And you're right, she was doubted.
0: Yeah. And there's one more way that I think she has something in common with at least one other woman in oh, yeah. Scripture, which is that so often we imagine that these women are passive participants in what's happening, um, and that's a slant that is carried forward in our reading of Scripture at times. But this particular woman, very much like Mary, is anything but passive. She's going to be very much in charge of the narrative as it carries forward, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um but unlike the women who are given names, but like so many other women in scripture, she remains unnamed, at least in our canon. She may be named in rabbinic tradition. Um, There's some discussion about whether or not we know her name. I'm not so much convinced that it's important that we know her name, as much as we see that she is a person who is very much in charge and is valued. And this story doesn't go forward Without her, And it's not just about the fact that she can be fertile. It's about so much more than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, her her worth is dictated, uh, well, by the fact that she exists, first off. But secondly, the fact that God is sending this message uh, to this woman is another affirmation of her, her divinely appointed role.
0: Yes. God's going to show up where God chooses to, regardless of what other humans may think about who is the right recipient. Yep, yep. Wow how about if we uh, take a moment and shift and listen to uh, the psalm for this week
1: and remember uh, friends the psalm uh, was selected by dr Gaffney as another way of cracking open meaning in this Old Testament passage in this Annunciation so it's it's good for you to listen to the psalm in that context and uh, I think we'll probably be weaving back and forth between the psalm and what we have been discussing from judges 13. So this is uh, Psalm 115, verses 9 to 15, which, uh, Pastor, let's read this um, antiphonally uh, Mm -hmm. back and forth. Israel, trust in the Holy One of old.
0: Their help and shield is she.
1: House of Aaron, trust in the Holy One of Sinai.
0: Their help and shield is she.
1: You who revere the Holy One, trust in the Holy One.
0: Their help and shield is she.
1: The faithful one remembers us. She will bless.
0: She will bless the house of Israel. She will bless the house of Aaron.
1: She will bless those who revere God who is holy.
0: Both small and great.
1: May the generous one add to increase you all, both you and your children.
0: May you all be blessed by the ageless one, maker of the heavens and the earth. Well, again, we're getting a chance to see some uh, words for uh, describing God in this psalm. And uh, I know I was looking first at, we keep seeing Holy One Mm. over and over again, but each time uh, Holy One seems to be picking up some other qualities. we got Holy One of old, Holy One of Sinai and Holy One of God. So I'm wondering if any of those are leaping out to you with anything you feel like we ought to talk about. Well,
1: the one of, uh, the one Holy One of Sinai is the one that most leaps out to me because uh, it's very subtly reminding us that God is not only present in this moment of the psalm, but God has a track record of showing up uh, for God's people. And Sinai takes you back to... Uh, the wandering in the desert and Moses and all of those things. So I think it's really, really helpful in Scripture to to see that rootedness, to see the history that's being drawn in, and to do that in our own lives as well, to think about God, not only for whatever we need or we're asking God for now, but to examine God in the total arc of our life. Because I think when we do that, we realize that God has been far more present than we might otherwise uh, imagine.
0: Yeah, and then we get those other words that I see lifted up in this particular psalm, which is that God is faithful and God is generous and God is ageless. And God is our help and our shield for both the small and the great. And just to remind ourselves again, as you've said, about who God has been, how much God has given blessing. Uh, to stop and to remember that and to re- see that across the arc of time.
1: And Dr. Gaffney uh, does uh, take some, I think, reasonable license here with uh, selecting names for God when the text says Lord, because even the word Lord is packed with all sorts of meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, b- but one uh, innovation that she doesn't do in this psalm is this sort of call and response thing. Mm-hmm that you heard uh, the two pastors here doing, uh, that's right out of the text. Mm-hmm. And I think it's beautiful. And I think it really reinforces things. And it reminds us that we are not the first to be praying or using these Psalms in a liturgical fashion. They were designed for the very, from the very beginning to have uh, this sort of dynamic in them that makes them memorable and meaningful for people of, of all times.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when she chooses to use feminine language, in these stories that we are engaging, I think about God really intimately connected with the struggles of the women in these stories Mm. who are worried about producing heirs, worried about proving their worth, um, and often with so little agency in their lives. And to see something as simple as a change in a pronoun as being about solidarity and involvement... Um, just add something to it. Well,
1: that takes me back to our gospel lesson from last uh, last week when Mary and Elizabeth, who are both expecting miraculous ch- children, end up together. They uh, Mary in particular travels uh, quite a distance because there is something about that experience that only the two of them could understand, a comfort that only the two of them could give one another. And I, again, I think it's reassuring that our God goes beyond pronouns and gender and all of these things and can universally work with us identify with us comfort us nurture us in any and all circumstance
0: yeah so in the culture of the psalm part of what is at issue is uh, who will our children create and how will our line carry on that's the understanding of people in the old testament is that the way you live on Uh, isn't resurrection, it's the way you live on is through your children, through your line being carried on. At the same time, they are people, the people of Israel often have a tenuous hold, they're not the largest of groups of people, they're not the strongest. And so that helper and shield language figures in all kinds of ways. And it has a particular role, uh, coming back to talk a little bit more about Samson. The divine messenger who visits Samson's mother-to-be not only says you're going to have a baby, but there's this prescriptive edict of what she should not do because of what's being prepared for him. And mm-hmm. that's a little different mm-hmm. because she's being asked to take a vow that normally would be something that he, as an adult, would take for himself. Right. Um, and, and it gets into, you know, don't eat anything that's unclean. And what's being talked about here has to do with the rituals and the practices of, of being the people It's not so much about what's sinful. It's about there are certain foods and certain things that have been deemed to make you not ritually ready to be in the temple, Mm -hmm. to not be clean in that way. So it's not about, you know, sins and impurities. But if you are a Nazarite, you've taken a vow to live this really strict, ascetic, holy lifestyle. Nazarites don't cut their hair. They don't drink intoxicating beverages. They avoid anything that will make them ritually impure. And... For Samson to be declared a Nazarite, not only raise this child when he is born this way, but to be declared under this vow while he still is in his mother's womb, is um, a very special form of consecration that's happening here, that, that his mother is taking on ensuring that from his very beginnings as cells, his formation in every way is setting him aside, and he's got a task that he's supposed to undertake in in Scripture and Judges.
1: Yeah, he's going to save uh, the people from the Philistines, their their military enemy, and that is uh, a superhuman uh, activity that is going to require everything uh, that uh, Samson is able to muster and beyond.
0: And, you know, he will end up... The period of judges in Scripture is is before we get to the kings, before people demand a king. This is a period where the judges are going to help guide the people. And he's going to end up being the last of those. Uh, and he sort of goes down in flames later, which we're not going to get into. Um, but in in his way, because of the way he was set aside, it led people to wonder if, oh, well, this maybe this is the Messiah. Mm. And I know that's language that we normally only imagine... Sure. You know, for Jesus, but there were many people who were, people wondered, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who's going to save us? This has been going on for a very long time, long before we get to Jesus. Um, and so this notion that he's being specially set aside um, and that she has a role in that is, is, she's not the only one, but it is very unique. Women could and did sometimes take Nazarite vows as adults, um, usually you took this vow for a set period of time where you were separated and consecrated, not for your whole life and for even your pre, uh, prenatal existence. So this is really exceptional uh, for this to be something that's taken on by her.
1: You know, it reminds me a lot of, of baptism in our tradition, where the parents are making promises on behalf of the child until the child can take those promises on. Uh, and, and indeed, Samson will do that. Uh, it's just a, a a beautiful thing that's happening here, and and I don't want us to get sidetracked with all of the, all of the uh, accoutrements of being a Nazarite and the wild hair and all of those things. You know, it's it's probable that John the Baptist was in this tradition as well, uh, and and we can sort of distance ourselves from it because it sounds a little weird. But we do it. I mean, uh, Pastor, you and I, when we're presiding at church, we wear collars. We don't have to wear collars, a special ministry collar to do that, but it, it symbolizes both for us and for the community we serve what our role is and, and who we work for and who we proclaim on behalf of. So these kinds of external things can be very helpful in in affirming for somebody what their internal transformation has been.
0: Yeah. So normally, we you know, we may not get into much of what happens after the story, but What happens after the part of the story that we've shared with you so far is so interesting that I really feel like we need to hear it, because, you know, so this woman is visited by the divine messenger, and she runs to tell her husband, and her husband, Manoah, hears this news about the divine encounter, and Judges tells us that he pleads to God, let the man of God whom you sent come to us again so he can instruct us what we're supposed to do with the child after having already been told by his wife that the messenger has already given really detailed (laughs) instructions. I mean, was he not listening? uh, Did he just not believe her? And in one understanding of the Jewish writings about this, uh, it's suggested that maybe the reason for his question was a little more underhanded, that maybe he suspected that she had conceived from an extramarital affair. And that this claim of an angelic encounter is just a way to sort of cover up what's happened and explain a pregnancy that previously seemed impossible. And so, you know, Lord, send this messenger back. And so God does. God sends the messenger a second time, but again does not send the angel Mm. to Manoah. He sends the angel to his wife. And so she's in the field, and her husband's not with her. And so she hurries, hoping that he'll catch a glimpse of the visitor. And that happens. So then the angel, you know, deigns to speak with Manoa, who still seems sort of unaware of what's going on, and wants to know the angel's name, and the angel doesn't want to answer and says, Why do you want to know my name? It's unknowable. Right. And Whoa, well, why don't you stay for a meal? And I'm not going to get the text directly correct here, but the angel basically says, I don't have time for that with you. If you want to do something, why don't you make a sacrifice to God instead uh-huh. of wasting your time trying to feed me? So he does. And he you know, gets the animal, and the animal starts burning on the altar. And as that happens, the angel ascends heavenward on the flames. So now Manoah knows.
1: And mm. then he
0: panics. Sure. And he's like, oh, my gosh, we came face to face with the divine. And so he decides that since that has happened, they're going to die. Even though she's already seen the <laughs> angel twice yeah. and nothing bad happened. Oh my. And in all of that, his wife stays calm and cool and says, well, if the Lord desired to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our offering. or shown us these things we're supposed to do for the child. So she has this really outsized role in hmm. comparison to what people would expect. Um, where she's very clearly in charge of the narrative here.
1: I really uh, appreciate you bringing up some of the Jewish interpretation of this. There is always lots of space, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, where we don't know what is going through everybody's mind. And our Jewish friends, I think, model very beautifully how you can creatively enter into the story you don't necessarily draw firm conclusions, but you have options available. You can be playful with the text. And I think it's a very respectful and helpful way of engaging the text at a deeper level.
0: And, you know, I mean, it's not lost upon us either that in spite of having just had that sort of, you know, wry moment with what happens in the, the next part of Judges there, it is not lost upon The woman to whom the messenger is speaking Hmm. that just because she has been given the gift of a child that somehow uh, it's not lost upon her that the the sting of infertility Mm. and everything that she has dealt with until now it's also not lost upon her that this is in fact something really divine that she's being asked to be a part of and interestingly enough in the Hebrew in this particular case the angel is telling her she's already pregnant when the angel speaks to her, and so, uh, but she she understands the gravitas of the message far more than Manoa does. Well,
1: well, you know there there are a lot of connections between our Old Testament women and our uh, Mary, uh, who uh, you know before this study you may have thought is the only one who had this experience, and and one of those is that uh, Mary, uh, as well as uh, our hero today, is not oblivious to the, the, the gravitas of this situation, the seriousness of it. And uh, so let's uh, go through our gospel assigned to this lesson from Luke 1, the well-known, very familiar, very beautiful Magnificat, and, and listen for Mary's strength in these words and be confident that that same strength is is being uh, shared uh, by our hero from Judges 13. Luke 1, through 56. My soul magnifies the Holy One, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor upon the lowliness of God's own womb slave. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. God's loving kindness is for those who fear God from generation to generation. God has shown the strength of God's own arm. God has scattered the arrogant in the intent of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped God's own child, Israel, a memorial to God's mercy. Just as God said to our mothers and fathers, to Hagar and Sarah and Abraham, to their descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months, and then she returned home.
0: You know, before we contrast Mary and Samson's mother again, as I was listening to you read that, and that God's own child, the people of Israel, is a memorial to God's mercy. Mm. And I wonder how often we've ever stopped to see ourselves as... A memorial in the world of God's mercy
1: no um, never <laughs> right <laughs> right you know at best I feel I'm I'm a signpost pointing to Jesus when i at my best a memorial Well, I'd be pretty great I don't know if I merit that
0: no no I know but it's such beautiful language it is you know that just struck me as we were sitting here now uh, when you think about uh, Mary and her thankfulness the distinction, of course, is she's not thankful that, oh, wow, I've always wanted to have a child and I'm no longer barren. And she's not even so much thankful for who her son will create in future generations, you know, the progeny. It's not about reproducing of lines into the future,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's really about what Jesus will do with his life that that's the divine purpose and that's going to point us all the way to the cross Um, she does of course share that understanding that her child is intended to not just exist and do a thing or two but to to lead in the you know you get this powerful language the scattering of the arrogant and the shifting of power yeah Um, that's not lightly spoken
1: No, and it's not going to be fulfilled in in Mary's time in completeness, nor is it fulfilled in our own time either. We still live in that in-between. And though God is doing great things here in the birth of Jesus, Mary herself is going to suffer as she watches what happens to Jesus in his mortality. It won't be an easy path, but she's aware of that. And her strength comes not only from her own character, but from the confidence that her Lord is with her.
0: And I think if we're being honest, we can at least say for a half a second, you know, if you read the story across the Gospels of the times that Mary shows up in Scripture, for the times that she shows up and says, you know, do what he tells you, there's also the time that she shows up and says, would you go in there and get Jesus because he's crazy talking and I think we need to take him home before something goes wrong.
1: Oh, yeah. And that just makes her
0: human, right? Yeah, she
1: loved him so much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So... But the words of the Magnificat remind me there's a a modern hymn that we have in our hymnal uh, called the Canticle of the Turning.
1: I think we might be singing that uh, at our Advent midweek service this week.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're going to hear a little... You all will hear a little bit of the instrumental of that uh, at the end of the podcast. Um, But before that turning begins, there's a woman who's received a holy message called to trust God's word will be so.
1: Well, and as we're finding out, lots of holy women.
0: That's right. That's right. So... Uh, Lots more to chew on, and uh, in the meantime, we're going to close with our breath prayer three times. I trust trust you, you, Holy Holy One, One, my helper helper and my my shield. shield. I I trust trust you, Holy One, One, my helper and my my shield. I trust you, Holy One, my helper and my my shield. shield.
1: Friends, join us for midweek worship this evening at 6.30 p.m. for a contemplative service with Communion and a reflection upon Mary. Join us tomorrow for Bible study where we dig deeper with these passages at 11 a.m. in our fireside room here at Grace. And stay tuned for Sunday. We hope you'll join us in person in our sanctuary at 8 and 10.30 a.m. Our 9 a.m. service will be at the Miller Center. For indoor worship, we ask all people to mask regardless of vaccination status. You can tune in on the radio on WRSC at 10.30 a.m. Sunday morning. And via our live stream, 10.30 a.m. service, you can see and hear worship live. It's available at our website, glcpa.org. You'll see a link for glcpa.org slash live stream. Or just go to our main page, click Watch Worship Now. If you get there late, don't worry, you can watch it anytime after 1030 AM. However we gather, know that it is a joy to be together with you in person or in spirit as we continue to follow Jesus.
0: Take care, friends, and I should note that as we are headed into Sunday, we're going to be having uh, Lessons and Carols.
1: At the 1030 service, yeah, Yes. Yes, so to that.
0: that'll be a wonderful opportunity to hear a lot of that beloved music that helps us to prepare in the season. We'll see you soon, in person or in spirit. Take care.